Hot dog! I'm Joel Volk and welcome to Small BizCast, where I explore the lives of small business owners to dig a bit deeper and explore strengths, weaknesses, ideas, and challenges with blemishes and all. As you listen to Small BizCast, you will find comfort in knowing that you are not alone. Hopefully, you'll find inspiration and ideas from people I introduce you to. Hopefully, you'll laugh a little too. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life. How do you differentiate your business from your competitors? How do you communicate what makes your solution more valuable? How do you appeal to your customers' pain points without seeming mercenary, insightful, or even worse, disingenuous? Today's episode is all about marketing and messaging. I am proud to introduce two amazing professionals in this area. Direct from New Hampshire is Susan Gold. Susan works with business owners to attract clients using a combination of value-based messaging in a clear, executable marketing plan that grows revenue. Her firm is Susan Gold Coaching, and we have Michael Leibowitz of Magnetic Mind Studio in San Ramon, California. Michael's expertise is in communication and behavioral neurology. Michael's clients typically enjoy volume increases of two to five times because of the good work they do. These guests are brilliant and interesting, and I believe you're gonna find this to be one of the most valuable episodes you've heard. Welcome to Small BizCast, Michael and Susan. Thank Be you. Here. So Nike said, just do it. Apples is what? Anybody knows what Apples is? You guys, you're Bay Area. Think different. Think different, right? Coca-Cola. That's a weird one. The real right? thing. You know what? They're, they have another one. Like one of the original ones was Open Happiness. I thought that was interesting. I hadn't heard that. That is good. It's better than the real That's thing. That's a nice one. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah, and I guess, I guess the question is, you know, just do it sounds so simple, but I'm guessing there was a lot that went into this messaging. Quite a bit, in fact. Where do they start? Where do you start with your clients? How does the whole conversation get started? Hmm. Susan, you want you take this one first? Sure. Well, we start with looking at, who is it? Winston Churchill that said, if you don't learn from history, you're destined to repeat it. Mistakes. You're doomed to repeat it, I think is the exact quote. I look at history as a real opportunity to learn where a business owner, you know, who their clients have been and currently. And we look at a bunch of factors, including are they revenue generators? Do they bring profitability to the picture? Are they a really good fit for that business and why? And then learning from that, we add aspirationally, who do they want to attract that are not on that list, right? Because they're only as good as what they've done, right? So sometimes we can't attract who we really desire to work with. So once we start with the who, everything else after that is much easier. That's interesting. I, I often talk to clients and ask them to really identify what their actual product is. Sometimes they have no idea what their actual <laughs> what their actual yes. product is. And that's, that's why I thought that Coca-Cola one was kind of interesting because it kind of speaks to that. But you're saying, let's not worry about what the product is. Let's worry about who the constituents are. Right. Because when we start with, usually a business owner has at least an idea. I have worked with startups. They at least have an idea of what they want to do. And it starts with a problem they want to solve. Right. Mm -hmm. And who is it that they want to solve? The Who has the problem? Right. So usually there's a sense of that with companies that have been in business for a couple of years or decades. They have a nice client list that we can look at you know, part of that happiness factor or the fit factor is, are they working with clients that value what they bring to the table? 
value the solution that aligns with the problem. So the alignment of the services also can be done once you know the who. 100%. In fact, that word alignment is, let's make that the theme of the show. (laughs) Because uh, when it comes to marketing and, and sales, and to me, marketing and sales are on a continuum. They are not two separate functions. Alignment is going to be the biggest thing. And for me, where I start, since my background, you know, you've heard the saying, like, to a hammer, everything's a nail. Well, to someone whose background is behavioral neurology, everything is neurology. (laughs) So alignment begins in our belief systems. And that's where I start. I work with my clients to uncover what is the belief system operating in this business. That is the number one way people are drawn to your business. This is what think different. This is what just do it. This is what open happiness or even the real thing, which is not as good as open happiness. (laughs) These are all what they're pointing at. They are all versions of a belief statement. If you can add the words, we are the people who in front of it, it's a belief statement. We are the kind of people who just do it is what Nike is saying, right? Doesn't matter about how good you are. Doesn't matter about, you know, your skill or how long. Get on the court. Just get on the court. We're the kind of people who just get on the court. If you're that kind of person, we got some stuff to sell you. Mm -hmm. Apple doesn't talk about their computers. We're the kind of people who think different. If you're the kind of person who thinks different, we got some computers you're going to like. Now, that's the aspirational element that Susan was talking about earlier because Not everybody thinks different, but we all want to say we think different. <laughs> well, it comes down to identity. What right. kind of a person do you think right. you are? Right. And yeah, I'm going to get, I'm going to go nerd factor 11 here. That's early for you. Yeah, I know. Right. But I love it so much. It's fun. So the way our brain works is we make decisions based on survival instinct, believe it or not, all decisions. And the decision we're making is, is this safe to include in my life when, you know, when I'm buying a, a thing? Are you safe to include in my life when you're working with a person? And the way we calculate that is, are you like kind? Are you like me? And things that are like me probably don't want me to die, right? To this part of the brain. Things that are not like me, we now see as a potential threat to survival. Now, they're not actually going to kill us. That gets transformed in other parts of the brain into, no, there's just something I don't like about this person or this product, right? But that's what's really going on. And so the name of the game is how do you communicate I'm like you and you are like me. And this is what Susan was talking about. When you understand your audience, well, part of that is understanding from my perspective who you are. And then from Susan's world, great. Now that we know who you are, who's the audience that's going to match that? Let's get everyone aligned. Right. So and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but but my mind is wandering to to politics, not really to oh, yeah. <laughs> widget selling. But what you're describing is so yes. obvious when in political rhetoric and, and slogans, right? And 100%. So, so is that the same? Is it the same? Same structures. It is the, the same brain. structure, same concept. Yeah. When someone's writing Absolutely. a political ad, they're trying to really, so much of it has to do with survival. How many people, especially in our environment now, are so polarized, they believe that it's all about yes. survival. Yes, right? survival is a really That's driving the point that you're describing, correct? Survival is a really fun thing. In political discourse, it's right there out in the open. It's about survival. Usually in marketing, you don't want to say, hey, if you don't buy my thing, you're going to die. Well, unless you're selling medical something or other, right? Right. 
But, you know, in your mind's eye, walk into your kitchen, open up that drawer, take out the spatula. You definitely bought that spatula at that moment because this part of your brain said, this is the one that matches my identity. When it matches my identity, I'm not going to die somehow. And this isn't like even in the present. This could be like, I'm not going to die when I'm three years old because <laughs> we're okay. Now we're going to the dark web of how our mind works. I'm not going to go there, but it is important is the point. So this idea of alignment is really important. And back to your original question, what's the first thing you do for me? What is the belief system supporting this business? What's what's really going on? And then I hand that over to someone like Susan and say, hey, here's the belief system of this business. Let's go market that and find the other people who believe the same thing. Because the formula to me is not, hey, I have something to sell and I have to drag you over to my side of the fence to convince you to buy from me. The formula for it all, and this is marketing and sales, is tell people what you believe, you know, think different, just do it. Find the people who share the same belief that you do, marketing, and then offer them something that's going to benefit their world, sales. So then what happens? So now we have this messaging. Is it a genre? Is it basically the frame? Yeah, the framework. And then and then what happens? Then how do we execute that? Oh, Susan. Well, that's <laughs> where the channel strategy, that's the marketing geek language, the channel strategy comes in in another way of alignment, right? So you have your ideal clients, you have your your belief system, you understand who you are and who you want to attract. You have your message platform, which both Michael and I work on that in different ways. And then you have to align where do those messages need to be seen and heard to attract those like-minded ideal clients. Yep. And so the secret is, and I think, you know, I, I'm a B2B business to business professional. And I think the same can be said about B2C as well, but I'll speak more in B2B language. It's so much easier to go where the ideal clients gather, where they already yeah. are. Right. <laughs> it's less expensive. It has increased chance of success. It is less painful. You know, marketing has become kind of a four-letter word for a lot of business owners because the industry is making it so hard to understand what the hell they should be doing. Well, There's I, so many options out there. Right. When I think of um, B2B marketing, I think of it as being much less emotional than B2C marketing. Oh, not at all. Not true. And I'm getting... No. For those that can't see, I'm getting double head head. head. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you're on, and I'm. This is why you're on because I listen. I spent my time in technology, and although I I'm a student of sales, and I understand that all sales are made emotionally, they're they're rationalized intellectually, and so yeah, you you, so, you come from the world of features and benefits. Yeah, yeah, speeds and feeds, speeds and feeds. Yep, yep, yeah, exactly. No, no, doubt, no doubt about it. But uh, we were all about. And that included describing ROI, having showing the afterworld value right. was a big part of our rubrics to create success. But and that's how we trained our salespeople and so on. But we had to connect emotionally, of course, in order yeah. to even that's get right. there. Um, and a good ROI can be emotional, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing. The results that you really need because you have a pain point, you have a struggle, you have an issue that needs to be resolved, and you're getting you're talking to someone that can give you the results that you need that has the impact. You don't care about the process. 
You want to know what's the impact right. and what's yeah. the value that's brought that's different from their other options. Yeah. And launching off of that, there's really only two things that your audience needs to know when it comes to the message for in any context. Everything else is going to be a supporting cast member to these two main things. And these two things are critical because they talk to the two different sides of the brain that actually make a decision. Number one, this is what Susan was just talking about. What is the main outcome I get from this? All right. This talks to what I call the human brain, all the logic centers. This is akin to features and benefits. They help us justify a decision, not make the decision, justify it. But <laughs> justifying right. a decision is very important. Sure. So what's the main outcome I get from in B2B context, working with you and consumer from this thing you're selling me. And a gentleman named Theodore Levitt, a Harvard business professor said it best, and this has become somewhat famous within marketing circles. People don't want a quarter inch drill. What they want is a quarter inch hole. Right. Now you might be selling drills, like delivering a drill, but what you're selling, what the outcome is, is a hole. So that's how to think about outcomes. Right. What's really the big get here now? The th now, lots of people can deliver that. And the, the more clear you are in communicating that, the better advantage you are in getting people to understand you and wanting to say yes to you. But what's going to make them really want to buy that solution from you going? It goes back to belief. And this is the second question that our brains ask. Do we share the same beliefs? Because if we share this, if I recognize in you that we share the same beliefs, I now, it pumps out the you're safe, you're, I'm happy around you sort of chemicals that happen in the brain, right? And this is where most businesses don't do such a good job. Why? Well, because this works in the parts of our neurology that are, they're not unconscious, they're just not in our conscious awareness. But the more facile you are with saying, communicating that level of who you are, the more your messaging is going to land, the more your outcomes are going to be valued, and the more you're going to be able to know who are the right people to go talk to about it, where are they going to be congregating, and all this amazing insights that Susan just dropped on, on everybody. But you have to have both. And in the absence of a clearly communicated belief, your audience will make it up for you. This is non-negotiable information we must have. And they're going to make it up for you based on whatever you are communicating and including their entire experience of life, which you have no control over or no awareness of. So you're saying that people will give the messaging that they want to hear based on the abstract of what's there. Yes. That's what you're yes. saying. We will always interpret the message right. in some way meaningful in our lives. And the more clear you are on the breadcrumbs you want them to follow to get that meaning the more successful your marketing is going to be, the more successful your sales are going to be. So maybe this is a question for Susan, but does that then narrow the field too much then? If you're so specific that you're actually eliminating the outliers, does that eliminate the outliers? And does that counter? Sometimes outliers come to us no matter what we say. Right. Okay. Right? So if you build it, they will come. Somehow they can. But, but, but it is important to be specific because how many messages in a matter of 60 seconds of any given day are we all getting because we're checking our linkedin we're checking our linkedin chat we're checking our emails we're checking our phone we're checking we're checking so many things 
while we're trying to get work done for our clients, while we're trying to find new clients, think about the level of multitasking that we're doing, which by the way is a fallacy because you really technically can't do more than one thing at a time. (laughs) And Michael can speak to the neurology of that. I'm a scientist here. But I think because we're all getting, and a lot of us are networking as a key lead generating channel, if you think about it in channels, right? Uh, Mechanisms or pathways to get our messages out and to get clients, right? So we're using networking. So you're sitting in a networking room and how many 30 second, one minutes, whatever the time frame that you're hearing all in a matter of, you know, 20, 25 minutes. Somebody does a 10 minute presentation. There's all kinds of other stuff going on. You leave that room, you go into the next networking room. You're doing one-to-ones all day. You've got all kinds of meetings where messages are being thrown at you and you're trying to connect the dots. You're trying to trigger something. That's where the emotion comes in. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure you're in the right room. You got to make sure you've got the right ask. You've got to make sure you've, you know, if any given time, 20% of the room, it's the 80-20 rule, right? 20% of the room are the ones that really matter or have a likelihood of really mattering. And over time, if that's not working, you got to get out of that room. You got to get into the right room. Right. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Where are your ideal clients gathering so that when your messages get sent out, either virtually or through other marketing channels, that they're being heard and seen by those that are like-minded, that have the problem that you have a solution for, and you make that that connection and you engage. It's I have no notes very simple, to add to that. It's really simple. <laughs> you know, it's really that, you know, having, it's been, to do. having been in, you know, countless networking rooms in my career, one of the things that always strikes me is how often people that I think know what I do for a living have no idea what I do for right. Living, right. And I would, I would say, especially since both of your general fields are people probably guess that they know what you do, but since you're both so specific in terms of the nuance in which you work that I'm sure people misunderstand what you do all the time, yet you're professionals in that regard. How do you for yourselves make sure that people hear the right message? For me, I go straight to my core value and belief. When I'm in a networking meeting and from meeting someone for the first time, hey, Michael, tell us what you do. I don't start talking about messaging at all. I start talking about what's important to me and say, you know what? I love language. I love how the language we use determines how we are understood, right? That's a belief statement. Right. And anyone who understands that and shares the same belief, who gets that, I've already gotten my first yes. We're now aligned, not around what I do, some externality. They're now aligned with who I am. And they're making the connection of, I like this guy or whatever. Yeah, right. Both are fine with me. Right. But they the both, one they, who's they both have, what, what you don't, yeah, what, is what really people, on board now. <laughs> right. What, what people <laughs> right. don't know is that the ones that don't like you, you want to know that right away. <laughs> So exactly, you know, so the sooner that that's identified, the better. It's self-qualifying, right? It's self-qualifying. And for the person that are like that language, whatever, I know I'm not in a productive sales conversation or marketing conversation. Maybe now I'm in a different kind of conversation. Right. Right? Susan, Susan, how do you, how do you bridge that, that knowledge gap? I realize that People have often had a horrible experience 
under the cool marketing category. Right. And so it gets defined and shot at, if you will, based on their prior experience. And there are a lot of reasons for that, which is like a whole nother hour discussion that we could have. But what I focus on are what I hear my ideal clients suffer from. And that's, it starts with, you know, I help people attract clients that are profitable and are a good fit using the simplest language possible to connect with the problem that they have. And when they hear Mm -hmm. that mirrored from me, it's like, oh, right. It's a really good outcome statement. Small BizCast is proud to support Fit for the Cause. Fit for the Cause is the leading organization in fitness for low-income and special needs communities. Founded in response to the national health crises, Fit for the Cause has used licensed and COVID-conscious trainers to keep their members active, even during the pandemic. Offering physical training, nutrition, and a variety of classes, members benefit from the same resources given to Special Olympic athletes. So stay active now by going to www.fitforthecause.org. That's fit, the numeral four, thecause.org. Welcome to our new sponsor, Jorgensen HR. Jorgensen HR believes that an employer's workforce is the single key to customer satisfaction, reputation growth, profitability, and the ultimate success of the company. Jorgensen HR works to ensure that employers are in compliance with federal, state, and local HR laws and helps assist them with almost everything else HR. Driven by passion and guided by expertise, Jorgensen HR. Please remember to mention Small BizCast when you call 661-600-2070 or visit them online at jorgensenhr.com. If you know of anyone who feels lonely on their way to the top, I can help. Hot Dog Business Growth is for companies of all sizes. For people new to business, we offer the Pay It Forward Roundtable, a monthly half-day panel discussion with your peers, coupled with one-to-one private counseling with me. This is super affordable and the best OJT you'll ever get as you learn to grow your business. For the more seasoned, Hot Dog Business Growth offers counseling for leadership and teams. We offer sales strategies and team synergy, as well as customer service assessments and training. Our decades of business experience is on tap for you and your team. Schedule your no obligation conversation at hotdogbizgrowth.com. Yeah, you know, Susan, every time you and I talk and I get, we dig into the weeds into the, to how you work and what your philosophies are, I always think the words that come to my mind are less is more. That's, yes. That what you're, what you're really mm-hmm. providing is more from a smaller group of people. You're you're really getting the right people. That's what you want to do. And and from a from those of us, I mean, listen, so many people in business, the number one problem they say they have is they don't have enough team members, right? They can't can't find the right team people. So it's really important yeah. not to waste your time with people that are never going to be your client or aren't going to be your ideal client. So, you know, someone once said to me actually just recently, you know, it's it's hard to do good work for a bad client. So how do you attract the good clients? And yeah, that's yeah. what I get every time Susan tells me what she does. That's how I feel. I feel like I'm, and when I'm a, when a business, business. Yeah. When a business owner is, right. is complaining about not getting the right prospects, not filling their pipeline at all, or right. with the right prospects, they're not large enough. They don't get it. That's not who they really work with. I can see where just like Michael has his, special sauce, right? Mm -hmm. 
his training and his secret formulas, right? My special sauce is seeing things in alignment. I mean, we keep going back to that very important word. I just see the world in alignment or misaligned. It's not good or bad. It's just misaligned. By the way, alignment is a big part of how I work as well. I think it's really important to align the teams with the values and have the compensation. The compensation needs to be aligned with the goals. And I see so much misalignment when I go into a new situation and maybe you see the same resistance that I have, but usually it comes from that's the way we've always done it sort of philosophy. And it's really hard to break that mold, not so much around leadership because leadership, by the time they get us in the room, it's because they've had enough pain that they realize something needs to change. It's usually the people that supported them along the way. And now they're going to be forced to look at things from a different prism. And so anyway, so I think Michael, you wanted to add to this. Yeah. One thing I want to clarify on alignment that I've noticed is that a lot of business owners, when they hear this frame of alignment, I feel aligned with my customer, they start looking outside themselves like, oh my gosh, I have to figure out them right. and adjust myself to fit them. Right. That is the exact wrong thing to do. The first step is to figure out yourself. What business am I in? What's my core value? Who am I? Not just being a person if you're a solopreneur, but your business as if it were a person. What kind of a person would that be? Figure that out first. Then, right? And and to circle this whole square for everybody, that's my core work. Figure out what your business really is, what your core message is. Then go find the people who are more predisposed to align with that. And that's Susan's world, right? That's the alignment you need to be doing. It's not like, oh crap, I need to align with them. Let's go out out of me. No, figure yourself out first, then go find the people who are already in alignment with that. Now that you're clear about that, go have those conversations with them, go market there. So one of my earlier guests at Small BizCast was a gentleman named Cliff Scott, who's a like a veteran in advertising. And he was on the team that kind of reinvented Carl's Jr. and Hardee's when they had to be reinvented. And right. they sat there in the room and said, who's our customer? Who's our customer going to be? And they said that we, and Cliff came up with the concept of, we want the guy who, when he spills ketchup on his shirt, uses his French fry to wipe it up. So, yeah. and, and, and that became that whole concept of, it doesn't get all over the place. It doesn't belong in your face. And the whole concept of it's a big sloppy, you know, right. Right. That, that created that whole concept. And that was the paradigm shift that did it. So what they did is I identified that, profile here's, of, uh, yeah that's but here's what, what actually happened behind or? the scenes yes. here's what actually happened in that yeah. moment that guy was describing himself i guarantee it he was describing himself he was describing an aspect of his worldview his own belief system although he didn't say it as a belief and there was enough people in the room that said yeah i'm that same kind of person they were just talking about it as if it's the ideal client i guarantee you i of my engagements, I've worked with dozens and dozens and dozens of clients. Every time you describe your ideal client, I say they end up describing themselves. Themselves, right, right. That's what happened in that room. He described, he just didn't say the words, I'm the kind of guy who wipes up my fry with my thing. Right. Ironically, I know him well and he's not, but he probably was at one time or he is way below the surface, you know, not so much below the surface. He's so, so as you're saying that I'm kind of going, you know, I know him well enough to know the answer to this question. Yeah. Probably a part of him. Probably. I think that's probably valid. I think that writers do that too. You know, writers that write novels, there's usually one character that really reflects them and that becomes 
a yeah. central part of the consciousness of the care of the of the story. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And what I love about all that is the realness, the authenticity, the genuineness of it. Because when a business owner is clear, as Michael's talking about his process, clear on who they are, what they stand for, what they're all about, they are much more confident mm -hmm. in their ability to sell what yep. they have to offer. And the rest of it is really just about marketing strategy, which frankly is the easy part. <laughs> Once you've got clarity on who you are and what you stand for. Yeah. Yeah. You got to plant a flag. So um, yes. branding circles call it. You got to plant your flag in the ground and say, this is who we are. This is why we matter. And the people who agree with that are going to go, oh yeah, you get me. Right. So we're going to take a break. When we come back from the break, I want to talk about how we incorporate this to next generation businesses where it's not the founder that is carrying forward. But before I do, I want to ask you, I, I did a little thing of the best slogans. This is from Adweek magazine, the best slogans and the worst slogans. So let's, I'm going to read a slogan. You tell me whether it's come from the best list or the worst list. Ready? Okay. After dinner, you can stab your date. <laughs> okay. That was an easy one. <laughs> well, let me, let's, let's analyze each one of these. Okay. <laughs> No, that one, I mean, it's memorable, but it has no meaning to it. Right, right. It's gonna, it's it's fun, but there's nothing that it, you could say that about anything and it okay. does the same. I mean, unless it's a murder mystery dinner. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it, what is it doesn't it have a context. To? There's no connection. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here's one more. This is a little more fun. Uh, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. <laughs> well, this, it's signaling like kind. Yeah, and actually, right. it worked for them. I'm sure it did. In, sure. in its time, it in it, yeah. Again, okay. like, well, that's the key. voice of authority. You got to trust your doctor. So if he right. smokes camels, we all should. Well, the, believe it or not, that was on the best list. That was on yeah. the most. Yeah. Uh, the, the most no, no, it was very list. successful. It's, it's, it's just, a, it's, it's just, it's just so interesting yes. that you know we can't even conceive of something like that now. In yeah. the States, right. Okay. I'm trying to find one that's not um, food for the fun of it. Did you say food? Food for the fun of it. Yes. Again, context, but just by itself, that works. It happened to be on the left. It was Frito-Lay, by the way. And it happened, oh. to be, happened to be on on the worst slogan. But I actually thought it was a good slogan for them because, you know, it, we know they're not even selling salads in those bags of chips, right? So, you know. Yeah, I think no, it's hard with slogans out of context because yeah, they yeah. Like, or right. unless it's just do it because it's a lot so of money popular, right. getting that awareness. Right. 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 Um, and just do it. Yeah. Just do it doesn't work if you're selling knives. Right. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, okay. Unless you're a defense attorney or. Right, yeah. right, right. Or guns. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, right. There's always an audience somewhere. Con right? Context matters. Right. right. Context, matters. context matters. Alignment right. matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But last thought is something we were talking about earlier when you were talking about the drill in the holes. I was thinking about the slogan, M&M's melts in your mouth, not in your hands. And who's the customer? That, who's that for? Who cares? When I was a kid, I used to hear that. I go, who cares? Yeah. As, as a parent, though, you go, great. Liar. Doesn't get the all over the hand. Yeah, yeah. The mom cares. It's for right? the yeah. mom. 100% for the mom. So it had to yeah. be. Had to be. Anyway, so let's talk about next generation businesses because what we were speaking about before the break mm -hmm. had a lot to do with defining our values from the core. Yeah. However, it happens 
next generation businesses, you know, the kids come in or the company gets sold. And now you have people who, you know, don't have that same emotional connection to the roots of the business. How does that, how does the messaging have to change or does it have to change? That is that when the people have to change, Michael? Earlier you're saying the messaging so should next generation businesses, like you say, it's when the children take over or when there's an MA event, right? Someone else buys it. Mm-hmm. In both cases, and I've done I've done work with MA in this context, right? And first thing is whoever's taking over, the person who owns it now. The question is always, well, why are you doing this? What matters to you? Do you do you want to continue, have your legacy continue, or are you just getting some money and retiring? If you're getting some money and retiring, just take the money and run. Whoever's got whoever's going to take it over takes it over. Right. If you want to leave a legacy, if you want this business to continue and continue your purpose, you got to find the person who aligns, this word again, who aligns with your core values. Make sure you hand it off to someone who gets it, right? So let's talk about that. Because in the first case, who cares, right? What I would what I would say to the new person, if they're just buying a business because it's profitable, like if you're going to run it, great. Or if you're going to put someone else to run it, fantastic. Let's do the work to figure out what your version of this is, right? If a family member is taking it over and or you're selling it to someone who you know is going to continue your legacy, same thing applies. Pick the family member or find the buyer who most aligns with your purpose, your vision, your beliefs, because they're going to get it, right? There's a reason why this business worked. And it wasn't just because the product was rad. Some of it was because of our market position, our brand position what we represent in people's worlds. And to come in and, and change all that, it's a big risk. I mean, so you want to come in and, and find the people who align with it. And when you know what that is, you're able to find them. And it's the same thing with hiring staff, to tell you the truth, regardless of whether it's first generation or second generation. In my work, we, we cover what I call the belonging traits. What are the traits of this business that signal belonging to someone else? Now, in marketing, that makes sense, right? I belong here. Can you, elaborate on the, can you elaborate on the belonging traits? What do you mean by that? I've never heard that expression before. Yeah. Kind of in similar territory to our core values, but not the same. And I'll give you my belonging traits from my business, right? And every single one of my clients has this or have these traits, and they, they recognize they belong in my world. Number one, these are people who love to learn new things, right? Loved learning. Number two, they have a high degree of empathy. Number three, they are what I call intellectually creative. They can take two ideas and combine them to make a new idea. And number four, and maybe the most important behind learn new things, is they are driven to succeed, but in a very Jewish language, they're not super neurotic about it. (laughs) Susan's laughing right now. (laughs) Right? Those are my values. Those are the things that I know signal belonging to me. And so I know that. So I'm, yeah. so I'm trying to grasp this. So does that mean when you're hiring somebody, you're looking to identify? You're looking for those qualities in and, the people you hire. And, and are, Absolutely. You doing, are you doing the same for your potential clients? So in my marketing, I'm doing it in my marketing. So for me, the number one of those is people who love to learn new things. I love being around those people. 
they vibe with my work. They are my ideal clients. And they're going to value your work because they're Yes, absolutely. Right, right. So how I market my my stuff is always through a learning experience. Hmm. Because what do learning experience attract? People who love to learn, right? (laughs) Right? I do monthly workshops, right? Do the seminars. Every time you interact with me, I'm trying to find a way, big or small, that I can share with you a new piece of learning about yourself, about your business, about things in general related to messaging in my business. So now that's always a learning experience with Michael. Right. So the people who love that are just, they just come into my world. Right. And they match your, do they match your passion? Do they have to match match my belonging? Right. And then when they- The end result is actually more powerful. Yeah. Because the energy, and again, I'm not the scientist here, so I can't speak to that. But what I see in my work and what I see in speaking with Michael is when you are working with clients who are aligned with those belonging traits and the examples that he gave, right? the power of what happens yeah. in that work, those sessions, is light years ahead of those that don't align and don't follow those same traits. Right. And it's not only exciting for the client, it's exciting for us. Well, I was going to say that makes the belonging traits, the identifying the belonging traits mm-hmm. goes directly to what Susan was talking about earlier about less is more about. Yeah. Now you have a narrow field and you can, if you have all those constituents and you're not wasting your time or spinning your wheels on, on people that are not going to see the value that you bring to the table. Exactly. Or, right. and here's the other thing that people, especially if you're in B2B services, they might see the value in what you do, but they're going to be really bad clients. Like the kind right. that you just hate working right. with, even right. though they need it. Right. Even though they, they see the value time, in it, it's going to cost more. It's going to cost you. It's on just going to be a bad experience. And yeah. do you yeah. want to be in business to have just sell stuff or do you want to be in business to work with people you really love working with? So one of the big determinants of this is who you say no to oh boy. in your prospecting. Yes. So I look at intention. <laughs> so not that long ago, I said no to an agency that wanted to work with me. These two individuals reached out to me and said, our owner is not doing enough that we feel he needs to be doing for business development. We're bleeding clients out the back door. Mm. Nobody's really responsible for business development. And if we pay you to do our plan, we could sell him on the idea. And I said, no, I will not take your money because number one, it has to be, the strategy has to be created with the owner in mind. On the top. Exactly. How how are you supposed to identify the values if you can't speak to them? There is no one to execute a plan, which which means this plan is going to go on a shelf and have no meaning to anyone. And I won't take your money for that purpose to use as a tool to get someone who doesn't really want to do it in the first place. He's not going to do it. It will not work. So I would not take their money. And guess what happened? They pushed harder for me to take their money. I still said no. Yeah. So intention matters. Right. Right. Yeah. Because they could have said, well, that plan wasn't good enough because it didn't convince our CEO to go out and oh boy. You know, market our yeah. business. And it's because like, this is a podcast, everyone can't see. I am visually high-fiving Susan right now in this, <laughs> on the screen here. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't camera, plan this. <laughs> fix your camera. You missed your, missed your camera around. It's a little right. Bit right. Susan, did this discipline that you've developed to be able to say no in situations like this come from experiences that you wish you said no? Oh, absolutely. Right. And it comes from applying my process to myself, frankly. Right. Right. Of, you know, when you do this analysis of your current and past clients for like the last three or four years, you rank them on margin, profitability, did you lose money? Did you make money on that deal? Revenue, because you can have revenue without profitability, you can have profitability without revenue, right? And the fit factors. And the fit factors and the reasons why you're ranking a particular client high, that they're a great client for us because of, yeah. or they're not a great client for us because of, separate from the financials, right? Because that can drive, you know, fit factors, right? Wow, we made money and we brought in a lot of revenue. I'm happy camper, not necessarily. Do they respect what you do? Do they value what they do? Are they a good client? Do they do their part of the relationship? Do they, are they referenceable? Do they, you know, there's all kinds of things that yep. make up a great fit, right? So looking at those factors that create bad fits are how you qualify out. And when you do, I do my sorting and color coding and all kinds of magic to these spreadsheets and people see the, what I call the sea of red. That's the mm -hmm. one, twos and threes, low rated across the board. The right. client always says, Oh man, I knew I was supposed to be getting rid of those clients and saying yep. no to those prospects coming in. And until they see the volume in color, yeah, I can probably explain the reasons why psychologically that's happening. Right. But they know it, but they don't act on it. But right. when they see it and they see it color coded and it's screaming at them, now it's like, okay, now I know what I have to do. So no longer are the days where we know that 50% of our marketing dollars are wasted. We just don't know which 50%. Those days are behind us. We have the data now. Correct? It can be. Yeah. It's a, oh, the, for I some people, it's still happening because they haven't done the, the work I that Susan and I are talking about. I think it's happening more often than people. Yeah. I think business owners know that potentially a much bigger percentage of their marketing budget isn't working. They just don't know what to do about it. Right. They don't know why it's not working. And they don't, because the bottom line is you need results, right? Yeah. Some things you can't measure. You can, but it's too expensive to measure. You right. can measure, you can measure awareness. You can measure visibility. It's just too expensive. And most companies can't afford to do that. Yeah. So they also, the metrics. They just also are some businesses, Oh, sorry, sorry, Susan. Some businesses also think that 50% or even more is just the cost of doing business. That's right. how marketing works. We've all they've the numbers of, you know, if you got two percent response from your email, that's good. Right. Like, is it? Right. <laughs> right. Right. But we've all been like told that that's good. So, like, I got two percent. That means 98% was wasted. That doesn't sound too good to me. You know, so I always, so I always, yeah. You know, when I go to those, when I go to that, though, I also take it to the next step. Was what's the lifetime value of the client? So let's say I only pick up one client for a, you know, for a, what seems like a big inv marketing investment. Mm -hmm. What's the lifetime value of that client? That determines to me whether there's an ROI attached to the investment. So two percent might be just fine based on just the next question that comes after. What does that client represent? And being clear on what your goal for the marketing is 
Right. Which is what you just brought up. So right. if you're only looking for five clients right. and you got five, congratulations, 100% right. success. Right, right. But if you're in a kind of business that depends on churn, right? right? New client, new client, new client. Right. A 2% rate of return seems really low. Right. And yet, and this is what you're talking about, like, like do we no longer have to deal with 50%? I mean, you don't have to. And the conventional wisdom out there that marketing, a return on marketing, you know, if you're doing 5%, it's excellent. It's like, right. I challenge that. I also challenge it because it may be that all the effort to, you know, create that email newsletter that's going out that may not be set up for lead generation, but more for education and awareness yeah. plays a small role in one of those five clients coming in annually. Right. But is the time better spent mm -hmm. on presenting in yeah. networking groups and industry associations where those ideal clients actually gather? Right. But having the email newsletter as an offering, as something to nurture by. Mm -hmm. So it all goes down to context, alignment, and intention because you yeah. have a top of the funnel, the middle of the funnel, and the bottom of the funnel that your marketing efforts need to support. You can't put all your eggs in one basket or one channel because yep. you have to do awareness building, visibility creating, and lead generating activities. So how many campaigns are fail just because, not because the campaign is poor, but because the aftercare support is poor. In other words, they haven't they haven't trained their teams to execute how to handle the inbound. How many teams don't even know what the advertising marketing campaign is? Exactly. So when someone calls up and says, "Hey, I want to buy this widget that's on sale," they don't know what they're talking about. How often is that? And I know Susan, that you get into that the weeds with that with your clients quite a bit, correct? Um, I don't execute, but I have resources that I, I have executed over the years. I've right. sat in the seat of the head of marketing. And so things can go terribly wrong, <laughs> yeah. terribly, terribly wrong. And, you know, oftentimes, especially in today's times when marketing has become over data and technology driven, it's been hyper specialized. And what's happening is people in marketing are less knowledge about marketing, but they know because right. they've been Google certified, you know, or whatever the, the case right. may be, they know that the tactical or technician part of what they do. Yeah. They become engineers. They don't, they don't yeah, they don't necessarily, they're building the machine that they know, right. but they don't necessarily align it with what sales needs. Right. Yep. And that is the big difference. And a, I think one of the biggest problems in today's companies of all sizes where marketing is building a, a monster yeah. that needs care and feeding, but it's a reflection right. of their experience and their knowledge, but not, I mean, how many times have, have any of those marketing people sat in a sales call right. and right. seen and listened and experienced what happens? Right. Yeah. I advise that all the time when I'm talking to people, I just call up and pretend like you're a new client and ask your team a few questions have somebody do it if you want so they don't recognize your voice but listen yeah. to how listen to how your team is responding to how much does it cost or when can you be out or what is the you know what is you know why should i buy your widget and i think that people would be horrified most of the time people are horrified to hear what their 
so-called trained staffs and seasoned people are doing. Well, yeah. And that's because a lot of companies focus on the technique, not the substance, not the strategy. And actually, I do a fair bit of work in this territory where, yes, I work with the small businesses on their message and such like that. But for mid-market or mid-market companies, they bring me in to align their marketing and sales teams. Right. Because the marketing... and this is where perception comes into place because the type of person who goes into marketing sees the world a certain way with their certain belief system. And the kind of person that goes to, into sales sees the person a different way because of not just who they are, but how they've been trained to do the work. And oftentimes they'll see the same company and talk about it completely different ways. Right. I just work with a company that had seven people on sales, and they talked about the business seven different ways. None of them right. very good. Right. Now imagine, now not one customer is only talking to one salesperson or right. point of contact at this company. They're building a relationship. So you can imagine how confusing that is, right? One person says, hey, we're gonna we're all about this. We're going to deliver that. And the next person says, okay, I'm the person that's going to help you with X, Y, and Z. And they're talking about something completely different. So there's a real danger in seeing marketing as a series of tactics mm-hmm. that if only I had the right machine in place, it would all work out. Right. Tactics are important. What Susan has been talking about, and I've been in my own way, this alignment is understanding yourself, which we're going to help you understand who the right client is, which then cascades out to understanding what the right tactic is, how to talk in that tactic to that audience, all the pieces come together. Some of them are mechanical. Some of them are emotional. They all have to be there. Without one, the thing falls apart. So how many of those campaigns are 50% ineffective, 80% ineffective? A lot. Typically, they're the ones that focusing on the machinery, the tactics. Right. Everyone's looking for the quick fix, right? The one thing that I have to do and clients are going to, new clients are going to be, you know, knocking my door down. And, you know, I love what you said about the danger in seeing marketing in from a view of tactics. It's what people relate to. It's what they think marketing is. Right. And they just haven't had the exposure. Even most of the marketing services professionals haven't had exposure to strategy and how to solve those questions of who are my, who are my clients? Who should they be? What is it that I have to offer that aligns with their needs? And then how do I go find them and make more of them in a way that's efficient because I'm a small business Mm -hmm. and I don't have a big budget or I'm a mid market company and I don't have a big enough budget where we spend all this money in all these different channels and nothing seems to be working. And sales is saying, all I want marketing to do is to put the right prospects in right. front of me because I know how to close. Right. When I talk to sales teams and I say, how, how are the leads we're giving you going? Half the time they tell us these are not the good leads for us. Yeah. Not the good yeah. Leads. It's a marketing qualified leads. So it's, right. But it's, if marketing yeah. is missing right. the mark, <laughs> right. who yeah. cares? Exactly. So marketing says sales doesn't know how to close and sales says marketing doesn't know how to bring in the right right. right. That's All a 40-year-old, 50-year-old problem. Yeah. Right? So there's a, word on, there's a word on the tip of my tongue here that you guys haven't said today more than 100 times. Alignment. It's all about <laughs> Yes. 
I want to really thank you. Really uh, this hour has gone by super, super fast. So before we before we sign off, will you both take a turn and tell people how to best continue the conversation with you? Go for it, Susan. Sure. I am Susan Gold Coaching. You can find me at www.susangoldcoaching.com. You can reach out to me on my website. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn as well, Susan M. Gold. And feel free to email me. I have free downloads on my website that you can use to figure out your ideal clients, how to follow this process of message development and and channel strategy and go where your ideal clients gather. So there's a lot of work that can be done on your own. But if you are thinking about doing this work and going to the next level, feel free to send me an email. Thank you. Michael? And for myself, yes, my name is Michael Leibowitz. My company is Magnetic Mind Studio. The best way to get introduced into my world is to go to the website, which is mindmagnetizer.com. And there you're going to find several things. I host a monthly workshop on the third Wednesday of every month where we talk about how to craft an effective message. And in the second half of the workshop, we actually do the work. You come out of that workshop with a better understanding of your message than you had coming in. Also on the website are several eBooks you can download. One in particular called The Neurology of Yes, which is gonna show you how to craft a message that gets to a yes, rather than is generalized, <laughs> like, like we've heard so much from many people. Um, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm at Michael Leibowitz. I'm the one holding a, uh, a cap. There's several Le Michael Leibowitzes on LinkedIn. The others are lawyers. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so uh, you'll find my picture that doesn't look like a lawyer took it. But your mother's proud too, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so those are the best ways to get in touch with me. Very good. Well, thank you both very much. This has been great. And I look forward to uh, to getting the reviews. I'll share them with you because I know we're going to have some great ones. Thanks. Fantastic. Thank you so thank much, Joel. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, another good episode of Small BizCast in the can. Hey, listeners, you do make a difference. You make a difference when you share the episodes on Facebook or other social media. You make a difference when you give us reviews wherever you get your podcast. And you make a difference when you email me your suggestions and ideas, comments, and notes to jv at jovopro.com. You also make a difference when you support our sponsors, and I really encourage everybody to do so. Jorgensen HR, Hot Dog Business Growth, and SoCal Labrador Retriever Rescue, all of which can be found on the show notes. Thanks a million. Until next time, Hot Dog, it's a wonderful life.